Listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And it's time right now for the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. You just heard right there, brand new from Cranfield and Slade from their 12 Sun Songs Gatefold LP, where Evil Grows, originally from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada's. Poppy family. Thank you, Terry and Susan Jacks. And you'll be able to actually see and hear Cranfield and Slade perform selections from this very gatefold LP that I'm holding and smelling in my hands right now. Yes, my hands smell of the LP and a whole bunch of other stuff too. They smell of vinyl. Today at Zulu Records, between 7 and 9 p.m. at Zulu Records on 4th Avenue, Cranfield and Slade are going to be playing some tunes, and having a listening party starting from 7 to 9 p.m. This is Cranfield and Slade from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And I must say about this gatefold LP that was given to me, thank you, I just love it. It must be probably the greatest packaged local release that I've got since like Spark Marker put out a CD. It's like this LP is so coolly packaged. The only way I can compare it to is to compare it to like a CD that came out in 1991 because it had some really neat packaging done by Kim Kinnikin of Spark Marker and a Guest Quest co-op and his record label as well. There's some great packaging from a Spark Marker release in 1991. But we're not talking about Spark Marker CD. We're talking about right here a gatefold double LP here by Cranfield and Slade. And if you turn this gatefold release over, and when I say gatefold, you think like maybe there's like two records in it or whatever. No, where there should be another record, there's a giant poster in by Christoph Keller that mimics the front cover. So a giant poster that I could only compare to a band from Seattle, Head, who put out a great record at a giant poster, a big thick poster as well by Christoph Keller, who also design the entire package here and on the other side there's the vinyl and they could only get the vinyl made at erica records in united states of america no records made in canada anymore everything shipped to the states but they could only get it made at erica because erica was the only record label that would print without a record center so the whole theme of the record is yellow you know like the sun so there's no center on the record it's just like all vinyl in the middle so that's really neat and then if you turn it over there are some liner notes by 
Peter Cully. I'm looking down here. And Peter Cully, in his liner notes, says, the Vancouver Gothic of the Poppy family, who, of course, Cranfield and Slade just covered, has played that track. And when I think of Vancouver Gothic, I kind of, I guess, lately have been thinking of the movie Twilight, because believe it or not, Peter Murphy of Bauhaus actually does a cameo in Twilight. I read it on Peter Murphy's MySpace blog. Yes, I've been repeatedly checking out. And when I think of Twilight, I think of the star, Kristen Stewart, wearing a minor threat t-shirt in some publicity photos. And then I'm thinking, oh my God, Today on the Nardwar Human Serviette Radio Show, an interview with Ian Fugazi. And also I thought that would play quite well in with the theme of Cranfield and Slade, because Brady, also of Cranfield and Slade, play, uh, Brady Cranfield, plays in a hardcore band, Womankind, with Krista Min, who you may have heard on CITR over the years. And they are going to be opening up for the Jesus Lizard on the 24th. So more excuses to have an interview with Ian from Minor Threat, Ian from Fugazi, Ian Mackay on the Nardwar Human Serviette Radio Show, an interview with him. And then when you think of Ian Mackay, you think of Henry Rollins. So Henry Rollins on the Nardwar Human Serviette Radio Show here today. And then also I was doing some thinking. Yes, I've been doing a lot of thinking. Yes, I'm pretty bored. Oasis broke up. So let's bring out... Paul Gallagher, again, an interview with Paul Gallagher, not Liam, not Noel, but Paul, the older brother of Liam and Noel, ex of Oasis. So an interview with Paul Gallagher. So we have minor threat Ian Fugazi, Henry Rollins, and Paul Gallagher all on the Nardwarta Human Serviette radio show. And right now, before we get into some minor threatening, we have another selection from Cranfield and Slade's 12 Sun Songs LP. And this particular cover is a cover of the zombies walking in the sun. Again, check out the Cranfield and Slade record release listening party tonight at Zulu Records from 7 to 9 p.m. you got to check it out because sometimes you can just listen to a record, but you got to see this record. It basically is the nicest package local release, as I mentioned, since a 1991 CD from Sparkmarker. I'm comparing a vinyl record to an actual CD because that's the only frame of reference I have. And the songs are amazing. And here we have The Zombies Walking in the Sun by Cranfield and Slade on CITR FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Again, check them out tonight between 7 and 9 p.m. at Zulu Records on 4th.
Fugazi from Washington, D.C. Ian, you're in here in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, Burnaby. Canada, DOA minor threat. You have a poster in your hand. What do you remember about that? This show actually is uh, fairly legendary in, in Washington, D.C. terms. DOA first came to Washington, D.C. in October of 1979. They played a, a commune called Madame's Organ. And uh, we, um, actually, I was sick that night. It's one of the two or three shows I actually intensely regret not going to. But everyone came back and said, this band from Canada is incredible. They, this is 1979 where nobody was touring and they showed up and played in a really, like a hovel, basically. It was a commune, it was so, like, the PA was made out of like oatmeal canisters and stuff. And so the fact they had come, everyone was saying, deal away. And the tape, there's a live tape from that show that was just spread around, everyone just traded and traded and traded. Um, in 1981, was it 81? Was it 80? Well, I guess it was 81, yeah. Um, 81, uh, we got word that they were, they wanted to come down from New York. They're doing a show in New York and they wanted to come down. And we had no real access to any venues whatsoever. But there was this high school, H.P. Woodlawn, there was an alternative kind of a high school. And they let us do one gig before. So we had another gig sort of set up there. So we called DOA and said, like, well, if you guys want to come down, we can't pay you. But if you want to come down and play this high school, we'll let you play on this show we have. It was just like a, it was like a, it was a free gig basically, and they just showed up. They played an incredible set. We just passed a hat. We raised like you know, 75 bucks. They were totally happy um, to get this dough. But most importantly, like that that, the fact they had shown up meant so much to us that it was like it actually was one of the the main reasons that as like a band like Fugazi or everything I've ever been involved with. There's always we've always had this kind of like philosophy of like you always must make the gig. Like, if DOA can make it to a high school just to pass a hat in 1981, we damn sure have to make it to every gig we ever commit to. It's like, that's the, like the most important thing. That was really inspirational. DOA, you know, they were, they were like, I think a lot of times people forget what an important band they were. And the fact they toured as much as they did early on, 
they were really like the Mavericks, or like one of the them and Black Flag, and they were the bands that really went out and like blazed a trail. You also enjoyed the Subhumans, right? Didn't you guys yeah. play with them? Yeah, yeah. Subhumans. I, actually, my third didn't play with Subhumans. That was Black. Um, the Bad Brains and SOA played with Subhumans. Subhumans stayed at my parents' house. So did DOA, for that matter. You know, we all, everyone came and stayed at my parents' house. And um, yeah, I remember the Subhuman guys too. They were great guys. And that was a really cool show. That show was shut down. Um, it was at a place called the Rumba Club. It was on the corner of like, an alley. And uh, SOA and Bad Brains are great. Both, both men are so great. And the Subhumans came on. Um, and actually, I guess they played before this um, Bad Brains. But when they were playing, this guy who was like a Krishna guy lived in an apartment building behind there was trying to meditate and there was so much noise coming up that he called the police and the police raided the show during the subhuman set and there was a long sort of discussion about whether the show would go on. It did go on. But sub, yeah, subhuman was a really cool band as well. When DOA did Hardcore 81, was that the first time you heard the word hardcore? I don't know actually. We've thought about, I've thought about that a lot. But I remember from our point of view, the reason that we started using the term hardcore is that we were really trying to um, differentiate between what people were calling punk rock, which is like this very Sid Vicious kind of, kind of New York or London kind of posy kind of uh, st- fashion, like a fashion thing. Like it was like that was punk rock. Like you're supposed to, you know, spit on yourself and this, all this kind of stuff. And we thought, well, we're not. That's like a fashion thing. We're hardcore punk rock kids. Like we, it's like so. You know, hard shell Baptist. Have you ever heard that term, hard shell Baptist? Well, hard shell Baptist is a person whose relationship with God is so intense they actually don't need to follow any of the, like they can drink and smoke and whore around doing anything they want because that's how hard shell they are. So the hardcore punk doesn't really need to like do any of the stuff that people sort of attribute to punk rockers other than just like be dedicated to what they're doing. So that's why we first started using that term. I don't know if DOA is the first person band to use that, but it was right at the same time. It all happened at the same time. Ian, how about other Canadian bands? Like, I know the rock and roll band Sloan, and they told me they made a pilgrimage to Washington, D.C. in about 1988 and almost stayed at your house. Do you remember some guys from Halifax coming to your house? Yeah, sure. There's also a band called Jellyfish from in Halifax. I think we're involved with this. Jellyfish band. Babies. Jellyfish Babies, right. Yeah, they actually, they were, those guys were cool. They would drive all the way down for, like, these, we did shows in these, this free show in the park, um, and they would come down, and we've run into them from time to time. Um, I don't know many Eastern ca- Canadian bands, like like Halifax bands. I, mean, I only know a handful. Obviously, when we tour, we play with bands. You know, we've met people like that. I remember a band called Porcelain Head. Do you remember them? They were from... Porcelain Forehand. Porcelain Forehead, yeah. You are the man. Um, I, I always liked them. They were kind of cool. There's been, over the years, been you know, there's been bands I'm like, ah. Oh. Of course, in the vile tones, of course. Which were, Did you see them? Never saw them. But that single was one of our, like... You know, that was like part of the constellation. One of their t-shirts is for sale in LA for $250. US. Well, people will buy it and that's what they'll sell it for, I guess. So Ian, are you a vegan? Why do you ask? Just curious what you've been eating on tour and how Canada's been doing. I understand you went had some good food there in Winnipeg. Where did you hear that from? Oh, just heard it from a little bird. Did you eat some good food in Winnipeg, Ian? I did eat good food. I've actually, Canada's been very good for food. But I don't generally don't think that interesting to talk about my diet, so... Well, just curious, what is something you eat two of? What do I eat two of? Like, right now, if I saw some cheese, I'd have two slices of cheese. Is there something you like to have two of, Ian? Uh, two bananas could never hurt anybody. I was curious, Ian, when you're living there in D.C., people coming to your house, did you one time have a stalker living on your lawn? Like, in about 85? 
Did I have a story? We had, there was a woman who once came and lived on a porch, but it's not actually a very humorous story. She ended up killing herself, so. How about the rest of the members of Fugazi? Doesn't Joe live in some sort of satanic house or some house that was deemed satanic, Ian? Yeah, according to the Prince George's County Police, yeah, Joe lived in a house that was a bunch of young kids living together. It was outside of a university. And, you know, they were into, you know, they listened to Joy Division and stuff like that, but they weren't Satanists by any means. But what had happened was that uh, one, of the, one of the people who lived in the house had found, in the university is a biology section, they had found a bunch of dead cats in the dumpster. And they thought, oh, this would be cool, we'll get some cat skulls. So they had these dead cats hanging to, in the sun to try to get the, you know, to get the hide off, basically, trying to get back to the bones. and. Somebody called the police and they raided the house. It was like in the paper, they were satanic, a satanic cult and all this stuff. Um, I don't think they were. I think that's just a, a typical kind of misunderstanding. Ian, your dad was in the Kennedy motorcade. I find this fascinating. Please explain if you could. Where did you hear that? In Punk Planet, collected interviews. Oh, yes. Uh, my father was uh, on the White, White House press corps in 1960, uh, 61. He would run for the uh, Houston Chronicle? No, Minneapolis Star at that time, I guess. And uh, he was just in the press corps, and he was in the motorcade. He was just in a bus with a bunch of the other journalists following, you know, the limousine as they came into Dallas. But he was not, like, you know, they were, like, two blocks back. So they had no idea what had happened. It was just suddenly, the bus they were riding in just suddenly accelerating and just whipped right through Dealey Plaza is where the shooting occurred. Um, and they saw everybody running. They knew something bad had happened, but no one had any idea. They didn't know what had happened at all until they got to Parkland Hospital. They just pulled up in front of the hospital and that's when it became apparent that something very bad had happened at that point. Has your dad seen JFK or does he have any conspiracy theories about it? Like, you know, the driver killing Kennedy? No, my father actually really, he doesn't think anybody did it but Oswald. He has no conspiracy theories whatsoever about that. He has more conspiracy. My father actually feels like the real, the real mystery is not the JFK shooting. It's the Martin Luther King. He thinks that's, that is nonsense. That was a setup. He didn't think James Earl Ray did that alone. He thinks that was definitely a conspiracy. He's a pretty smart guy, too, editing the crossword puzzle. That's not too easy, is it, for the Washington Post? I think it's a, sort of a habit thing. If you're in the habit of doing crossword puzzles, it's not that hard to edit them. He's been doing it for quite a while. My father, both my parents are, are certainly not... Um, they're both very intelligent people. When Fear played on Saturday Night Live, Ian, did you go down to Saturday Night Live and check it out in New York with Rollins and the gang? Rollins was not there. Uh, I'll tell you the story about that if you like to hear the story about that. In the 8 in the morning, uh, some point in October, I got a call. Um, I was driving a newspaper truck for the Washington Post at the time, so 8 in the morning was brutal. Uh, it was Lauren Michaels' office calling. Lauren Michaels being the producer of Saturday Night Live. And... I get this, this woman who said, Lauren Michaels' office, please hold. Now, I was completely delirious. Um, Lauren Michaels comes in the phone. He goes, hi, Ian, this is Lauren Michaels of Saturday Night Live. I'm calling you because um, I got your number from John Belushi. Uh, he says that uh, you might be able to help us get some dancers up here because we want to have fear on the show. I was completely baffled by this. And I, couldn't, I was like, pardon me? He goes, hold on a second. And then John Belushi gets on the phone. He's like, and he says, hey, this is John Belushi. Um, I'm a big fan of Fears. I made a deal with Saturday Night Live that I would make a cameo appearance on the show if they would let Fear play. Um, I got your number from Penelope Spears, who did Decline of Western Civilization, and she said that you guys, the Washington DC punk rock kids, know how to dance. So I wanted to get you guys to come up to the show. And uh, you know, you guys can all come up. 
So it worked out that we could all arrive at the uh, Rockefeller Center where the, where the Center Live is being filmed. Um, the password to get in was Ian Mackay. And um, we went up the day before. The Misfits played with the Necros um, at the Ukrainian Hall, I think. So all the Detroit people were there, like Tesco, V, and Corey Rusk, and all those people from the Necros and Touch and Go people. And uh, a bunch of DC people, maybe 15 or 20 of us came up from DC. Henry was gone. He was living in LA at this point. So um, we went to the show. Uh, during the dress rehearsal, things got, the camera got knocked over. We were dancing. They were very angry with us, and they said they were gonna lock up, you know, they were gonna not let us do it, and whatever. And then Belushi really put his foot down and insisted on it. So then during the actual set itself, they let us come out again. But if you watch the show, have you seen it? Yes, I have. Well, if you watch it, you know, there's a, during the show, before they go to commercials, they always go to this jack-o'-lantern, this carved pumpkin. Um, well, right before, if you watch it during the song, You'll see one of our guys, this guy Bill McKenzie, coming out holding the pumpkin above his head because he's just he's just getting ready to smash it. And that's when they cut, they just cut it off. They cut us off. They kicked us out. They locked us up for like two hours. We were locked in a room after that. They were so angry with us about um, the behavior. I, I didn't think it was all that big of a they deal. They locked you in a room? Yeah, we were locked in a room. They said they were going to sue us and have us arrested for damages. There wasn't there was such an um, so much hype about that. The New York Post reported like. Five, half a million dollars worth of damage on stuff, but it, it was nothing. It was like a little plastic clip or something got broken. It was um, it was a very interesting experience, and um, I realized how completely unnatural it is for a band to suddenly to be on a television show, particularly a band like a punk band that kind of has a momentum to suddenly be expected to like immediately just jump in to like a song in that kind of setting. It was very weird. It was yeah, largely unpleasant. Made me realize, yeah, that's something I'm not interested in doing. Was Rollins the hardest dancer? I know he wasn't there. Was he the hardest dancer in DC? I don't think there's a, any kind of meter for that sort of thing. I couldn't tell you. Or one of the wilder ones? Because you mentioned one of those guys sort of was Saturday Night Live. Who were some of the ones that stick out in your mind as some of the more, more adventuresome dancers there, Ian? We were all, we all had our own styles. I mean, the thing about DC kids is that we actually danced. I think a lot of people really, there was this whole thing that kind of came up later on, which was called whatever it was called. But we never did like the slam dancing thing was always kind of a media invention. We actually had like somewhat of a choreography in our dancing, we felt like. Um, we were also tough though. I mean, there was a lot of, it was an era where there was a lot of fighting going on. That was part of that era. You know, like, I think when punk was new, it caused a lot of friction. And I think that a lot of the kids who were involved with it, uh, fell prey to a lot of the more aggressive elements of society. So kids fought back and then it became, that language became a little bit too deeply ingrained in the community and then the violence itself became a problem and that needed to be eradicated, you know. Have you been in the slam pit at all? In my life? Yeah, recently. I, uh, no. I thought in Brazil you jumped in a giant circle pit. Oh, that was 1994. Was that, is that recent? Well, kind of recent. That actually was a show we played in um, Belo Horizonte. It was like this giant free festival. It was the first independent festival they'd ever done. It was in a parking lot of a train station. There was about 4,000 people there. The stage was about 26 feet high. It was a totally absurd situation. But between the bands, um, over the PA, they would play... Um, like uh, what's, what's Sepultura? that? Sepultura, exactly. Bands like Sepultura, they love like grindcore metal kind of stuff. And when they would play these bands, this insane like five or six hundred like peopled 
circle would develop. And Guy and I were just watching, like we were incredulous. It just seems impossible that this many people were dancing. And it was a, it was as big as this field. Here, show them the field so you get a sense of the. I mean, it was a huge, huge um, circle pit. circle pit thing. And so Guy said, "I'll give you a buck if you go for that." So I just got. It was, I just did the whole like one circular. It was incredible, actually. I mean, I it was, I was laughing so hard, and it was. I mean, it was totally enjoyable. Those kids were not slamming per se. There was no like punches being thrown. It was just, just dancing in a giant circle. At Hagen Das working there with Henry Rollins, did you guys once put out rat poison as a topping? That is true. But we didn't obviously didn't serve it. We just thought it was funny because it was pink and colorful. And nobody ever asked for it, so I don't think we would have put out too long, but I think that the idea was that it just looked so humorous among like the, the jimmies, the sprinkles, the coconut, you know, the raisins, and then you have this little pink confection. Did you and Henry also give a rat a mohawk? Henry, that was his mo his rat, Spike. You gave it a mohawk, or he gave he it a did. mohawk? I didn't. I was. He was actually not a mohawk, it was a stripe. It wasn't a, sh a haircut, it was a hair dye. He put a black stripe down his back. And what's this about it being in the freezer and then melting on jello by Afro, Ian? Well, when the rat died, the rat was gotten from... Uh, Henry worked at NIH, which was uh, National Institute of Health. And his job at the time when he was a teenager was he had to deal with um, basically gassing rats who were experiment rats. So they would just do these experiments with like 400 rats, and then he would take the rats and put them into like a garbage bag and then gas them and kill them all. So he decided to liberate one of the rats, which was Spike. Um, but whatever tests they were doing on this rat ended up in developing some very bizarre tumor, and then the rat died. And Henry, instead of just getting rid of the rat or burying it or whatever, he actually made a little milk carton coffin for it and put it into the freezer. The part about melting on Biafra, I don't know. You have to ask Biafra about that. Jello Biafra, I was searching the internet. I'm sure you love questions that are preambled by that. And I found some website that had some story about how Henry Rollins melted a rat on you. Again, this is what happens when you exaggerate stuff on the net. I was crashing in his apartment one night when I went back down to D.C. with DOA after a dead Kennedy's East Coast tour in 81, and uh, he was still Henry Garfield then. And right when I finally fell asleep as the sun was coming up, a roommate took Henry's uh, late pet rat, who was in a little milk carton coffin in the freezer that was still being mourned, and held the rat over me, and the water started to melt. So this rat was kind of dripping and drooling on me when I woke up. Now, when Henry Rollins quit Black Flag, did his hair end up on the wall of the Discord office? No. You're getting different stories mixed up. Please correct me, Ian. On the wall in the office was Henry. was a mirror that Henry had smashed with his head. And we had a pieces of his mirror with blood all over it. And it was on a piece of cardboard that said, Mirror that Henry schlonged his head on, plus blood. There was a bag of hair that belonged to me from, uh, at one point. But I got it because it sort of was disgusting after a while. Has Henry ever offered to Ian to get you into, like, showbiz or get you any acting parts or anything like that? No. Because I've seen Minor Threat popped up for a tiny bit there. What do you think about that in SLC Punk? You know that movie SLC Punk? Yeah. There's a bit of Minor Threat in that movie. Yeah. Henry had nothing to do with that, though. How about yourself, though? Have you ever listened to the Jim Rome sports show? No. I was... know what it is. They, they, you, they play our music. Yeah, I thought that's pretty cool. Jim Rome. 
Jim Rome. Jim Rome, the sportscaster. A lot of you know. It's you know, the Washington Redskins football team on last year at least. Apparently, during like the third down, they had a they would play waiting room in the stadium. I didn't hear it myself. I was told that by many people though. Ian, what do you think about that Poison Idea record where it's Ian Mackay? I don't think it's what it's called. It's just called Ian Mackay, and the, the cover is a big spread asshole. I think that's what it's, I don't think. I think you're getting two different records mixed up again. But uh, what do I think about him? Oh, well, you know, it hurts my feelings. But I don't really care. Had you known those guys at all or done gigs no, with them? No, I don't know them. But you know, their point of view. This is a lot of people who sort of assail my name or image or whatever. Like their point of view is like, there's people who consider him a god. So we're just trying to show that he's a human. But my position is, is that you don't throw rocks at human beings. So if you're going to be cruel to me, then you're making me into something that's like apparently larger than life. So if they're going to, they're going to be ugly about my name or ugly about me, then all they're doing is reinforcing the idea that I'm that I'm not a human being, that I am some weird god or something. I'm comfortable with myself as a human being. I don't know why they have to waste their time writing about me. But that's 12 years ago or 11 years ago. Let's get, let's get topical here. Well, how about your pockets, Ian? Do you carry $5 bills in your pockets in case you have to kick somebody out and give them their money back? No, I don't. But if I need to uh, give, escort someone out of the room and give them their money back, I'm sure I can borrow the money from somebody in the room. But I wouldn't carry it in my pocket, no. I have done so in the past, but we don't have that many problems anymore. We don't really have to um, ask people to leave. You'd be surprised, though, if you just give one person's money back, how much more enjoyable an evening can be. Because usually it's just one or two people that are causing most of the problems. Have you, ever, have you ever planted anybody in the audience, I mean, just for a joke, and pretended to kick them out just for fun? No. Did Allison of Bratmobile inadvertently chuck a tampon at you guys? You'll have to ask Allison about that. Do you remember the story at all, or perhaps what I'm alluding to? Oh, yeah. I mean, you'll still have to ask Allison about that. But what's your take on that story, Ian? My take is you'd have to ask Allison about that. How about your take on this story? Calvin Johnson glass ashtray. I didn't throw it. What happened there? Because it's kind of dangerous when you open for Fugazi, isn't it? No. Well, for, wasn't it for beat happening that night? They got, like, Calvin got a glass ashtray in his, like, forehead or something that like was, that? There's 1991. I mean, I mean, is it open? Is it dangerous to open for Fugazi now? No, it's not. How about 19, 1991, we were playing in Los Angeles. It was a different time, and people there were very aggressive. And when they were playing, uh, somebody threw an ashtray. It was not glass, however. It was plastic, but it was hard enough to split his nose open. And uh, But he didn't miss a beat, because he immediately said, and you may actually get the reference, he said, somebody broke my nose, dumped the whole balcony, which is a reference. Do you know the reference? Oh, I'm so disappointed in you, Nardwar. Help me, Ian. Help me. Teach me, Ian. It's a Germs live album where Darby says, somebody just broke my nose, dumped the whole balcony. So in other words, someone hit him in the face and immediately quotes Darby, who of course is, you know, a quintessential L.A. punk rock guy. And I think that was one of the, you know, Beat Happening's first sort of L.A. punk rock experiences. Like, they played smaller shows, but I don't think they'd ever been in front of something like that. I mean, the crowds have been, you know, Going through quite a cycle, like you know, if you've been around, like I've been involved with music for 21 years now, so I've seen like this kind of scene kind of go through all sorts of weird uh, conniptions, and that particular era was really was weird. It was just, when we first started playing, the music we played was so bizarre. I think it's so funny. People talk about like our last old records being so classic, but when we first played Waiting Room at that time, contextually, like with the music that was being played, 
people thought, what is this weird reggae crap? They hated that song. So it just goes to show that like there's always room for growth and change. And if you don't actually take advantage of that, you're, you're just going to keep beating on the same drum. Ian, how about some craziness, though, from promoting gigs and doing your own stuff, like a stage collapsing on you in Phoenix and helicopters overhead. Do you remember that? Like, didn't you go through the stage? I think, yeah, I fell through the stage. It was a waterlogged stage. I was jumping up and down, and it just went up to my knees and actually managed to cut my shins fairly severely. But meanwhile, there was a police helicopter going around with a spotlight on us and skinhead kids rioting out in the uh, street there. You just can't get away from the airplanes circling around Ian Mackay here in Fugazi. Do when you're on a flight path, apparently. When the Teen Idols flew out to L.A. to do a gig, did you play with some mentors? We took a Greyhound bus out to L.A. We didn't fly. Sorry, I correct myself. I'm so disappointed with you. Uh, we played at the um, Hong Kong Cafe with Vox Pop, who ended up being 45 Grave, The Mentors, and a band called Puke Spittin' Guts. Um... We borrowed Vox Pop's bass amp. We borrowed Paul Cutler's bass. We actually flew, we took this Greyhound bus out there carrying a guitar, a bass, and a pair of drumsticks. We just assumed we'd be able to borrow equipment. We did actually end up borrowing equipment, but they were not pleased about it. And we were paid for that gig. $15? $15, that's absolutely right. And $11 at the gig in San Francisco. That's correct, at the Mabuhe Gardens. A new wave night. You know who we played with? We played with the Wrong Brothers there. That's New Wave. Wrong brothers instead of the right brothers, see? I was curious, how did San Francisco respond to, like, the speed and the aggression of the teen idols? Well, the night we played was a New Wave night, so the actual response from the New Wave crowd was one of disinterest. Um, extreme disinterest, I might even say. But the night before, the show we were supposed to play on was with the Dead Kennedys, Flipper, and the Circle Jerks. Um, Dirk Dirksen, who was the uh, guy who ran the joint, the Mugway Gardens, had just dropped us from the bill because he didn't like the po He asked us for a photo. We sent him a fucking photo. I'm sorry. We sent him a photo. And uh, he just uh, said, oh, the dumb photo. And he just dropped us from the bill without telling us. So we'd taken a bus all the way out there for two shows. And we got to the one show and it was gone. So he felt so bad that he put us on the next night, which was like new wave night. But a lot of the kids we met, primarily HB kids from L.A., like the Huntington Beach punk rock kids who came up with the Circle Jerks, came out to the gig. They were, they were, they seemed to like it. What were the mentors like? Did they help prepare you for working with Tesco V? They, no, they were just kind of, um, they were pretty scary guys. They were big with hoods on. Nel Duce, I remember, carried his SVT uh, cabinet by himself, like, which is, that's a heavy amp, or heavy cabinet. Um, they were, they were kind of weird. I mean, it was all weird. I mean, we were so overwhelmed by the whole experience that the whole thing was just strange. Tesco, uh, on the other hand, I knew as a person. I didn't know him as a character. Ian, HR of Bad Brains, when they started out, was he a pre-med student? So I've read. I didn't know that until it was just recently written about in a book. And what was HR like? Did he ever, like, give any homophobia towards you at all? No. Not to me. HR was the energizer. He was really passionate about what he did. He was a visionary. He really got a lot of us kids thinking like we can do anything he was really full of like great ideas and like was always the one who said go like bad Brains always started their set with are you ready that was the way and it said they were they were a complete inspiration of a band so i knew him on that level 
when he became arrested, things became more distant, and all this, uh, the homophobic stuff, all that stuff kind of came up later on. And that, but at that point, I didn't really barely know him anymore. And now if I see him, like, of course, you know, we would say hi, but we haven't been able to actually have a conversation in you know, 12 years. Ian, I have some really great practice tapes with about seven minutes of music and about 83 minutes of arguing. Ian Mackay. By which band? I don't know. That was a quote that you said. Oh, yeah. What do you want to know? <laughs> I was curious. What did you mean by that? Well, they're minor thread practice tapes. But we just argued all the time. That band argued. People say, why'd you break up? We said, we were sick of each other. We just argued all the time. We were kids. I mean, Brian was 14 or 15. Lyle was 16. I was 18 or 19. You know, and we were struggling, trying to figure out how to live and how to grow up, you know. And that was a... Uh, that band was full of fire. So we have... We had... In- Intense arguments, and actually, one of these days I'm going to do. I may well try to do a, a record of just the arguments because they're so classic. Like Thurston Moore did that for Venom, didn't he? Did this Venom oh, stage banter? I never heard that. I'd like to hear that someday. They're arguing. There's one argument we have about whether how much to charge for the Out of Step record. I wanted to charge three dollars and fifty cents. I thought two fifty for a single. Make this a twelve inch. Make it three fifty. Bam. Be nice. But we end up having an argument for like half an hour about that. Well, speaking about arguments and stuff, Ian, when was the last time you got in a true blue fist fight? How do you define true blue fist fight? Well, this one, like, real full-on fist fight. This, like, it's like James Dean. I think in 1984 or 1985, I had been in a hospital where I had a shoulder problem that they thought was cancer, but it wasn't. It was undiagnosed pain. And I came out of the hospital. I had a biopsy on this shoulder. I came out of the hospital and I went to go see the Minutemen play. Right to spring open for the Minutemen. Brendan had been in a car accident and had his arm in a sling. So they had to do an acoustic set because he couldn't actually drum. He just had to play a standing up snare or percussion type thing. And during that Minutemen show, a guy punched my brother, Alec. And I think I hit him with a right, but my arm was so sore. And it just reminded me that it was such an intensely painful experience that it reminded me again that I was done fighting for good. And I did not fight again. I mean, I've had, I've had moments of like altercation, not, not fights like in the sense of like, there was like an argument that went into a fight. More like somebody pushed me or someone, you know, you know, did something where I kind of went, you know, pushed him back or something. But I don't fight. I don't, I think it's a, as a, as a form of communication, it's a bankrupt form of communication. There was a rumor in the fancy butterfly juice that you once hit a kid in the head with a hammer. That's not true. That's a, a mutation of a story about when I was in high school, there was a kid named Josh, uh... Josh Freeze at the Vandals. No. Because he's from Los Angeles, I'm from Washington, D.C. Okay, that was just throwing a joke out. All right, okay. Uh, I can't think of Josh, Josh Weiner. We were in a theater production together called the Wilson Players. It was like a community theater that actually was in this school. And I was building a flat. You know what a flat is? A house. A flat of beer. No, a flat would be this thing that you put up around the stage to kind of backdrop the scenery, the set. So you build a flat, you just take... You build frames, and then you stretch out, you take some fabric and stretch out, and you paint the fabric to make it look like the walls. So I was on my hands and knees, I was squatting down, banging, nailing together a flat. 
a frame for a flat. And a bunch of kids were smoking dope in there, which was pretty normal at that time. It was 1979 or maybe 1980. 79, 78 or 79, I guess. And I was just building this flat. They were all skin high in the corner. And Josh came over and tapped me on the shoulder. And I stood and was like, what's up? And he was about, you know, this far. And he blew pot smoke in my face, which just was insane. So I took a step back and threw the hammer at him. I hit him in the knee. I didn't hit him in the head, though. But it was not in the sense I was trying to break his knee. It was that I was having a reaction to being sort of assaulted. I felt like I had been assaulted. I don't appreciate that. I, I was minding my business. He was a bully. Do you understand that? Yes, I do, Ian. Okay. I wouldn't hit somebody in the head with a hammer. I'm not a malicious person. Ian, winding up here with Ian from the rock and roll band Fugazi and Where did you hear that British show? Oh, yeah, Canada. Brit Butter Butterfield. What was it called? Butterfly? Butterfly. Juice, Butterfly Juice, Juice oh, fanzine. Yeah. When SSD Control came down to New York, they brought a lot of their crew with them. And then there was the New York crew. There was the Boston crew fighting. Who do you think won versus the two crews? Was I there? I was just curious what your take on that was. Like the intense loyalty. You know, the Boston crew versus the New York crew. What is your question? Like, what was the take? What's your take on that? The crews, the two crews fighting. You know, like Boston goes down to New York, and a New York crew is there, and it was like a big slam pit, and some of the kids from Boston had giant X's on their forehead, so they knew who was on their team. Hmm. Where'd you hear that from? What's your source on this stuff? This is a friend of mine named Jonas told me this. Oh, X's on the forehead. Well, the early punk rock things were very regional. People came from, there was kids from Philadelphia, kids from Boston, kids from New York, kids from D.C., kids from Richmond, kids from Detroit, kids from Atlanta. So you just would run in. But people, because, you know, they're kids, and part of being a punk rocker is being marginalized, feeling marginalized, and looking for a family to belong to. And because it was an era where there was so much sort of animosity coming towards kids who were punk rockers, they started to form fairly tight cells. They're families. So... When they moved, they went to other places, they would run into other people who were like also in their own kind of families. Um, so I don't know, like I know Boston had a crew of people. I know those kids from New York. I know those kids from Washington. I know there was a lot of, there was a lot of friction, but not everybody from Boston hated everybody from New York and not everybody from Washington hated people from New York. It was sort of like, just, you just knocked heads. As far as like Boston and New York and a slam pit with X's and heads, that sounds like a big cartoon to me. I don't even know what you're talking about. but. Sure, there was times where people had disagreements or whatever, but who would have won? Who gives? Who cares? Ian, how come you never got a tattoo? Before you answer that question, you've got two questions left. Thank you. Have you seen The Filth and the Fury? Yes. How would you compare that to Instrument? And you guys played with Pill at one time, and have you met Johnny Rotten? Um, he didn't speak with me, so I didn't meet him, I guess. My threat did open for PIL. Uh, 19, uh, October 31st, 1982, Virtue Coliseum. They, uh, we came off stage. We played for a pizza and a case of Coca-Cola. That was our payment that night. Um, and I think they came in. When we came off stage, they pulled up in a limousine after us. So it was sort of a two ships passing the night. Uh, and I don't really compare instrument to Filth and the Fury. I didn't. I never bothered comparing it. Did you? No, I was just curious no, if you thought about any comparison between the two. No, I didn't think about it. How did you guys get on top of the Capitol building with Bikini Kill? We're not on top of the Capitol building. Well, there was some big concert there. It seemed pretty wild in front of the Capitol buildings or whatever American word is. 
What is an American word? What does that mean? I don't know. American explanation. Park buildings, capital. We don't have words like that in Canada, Ian. We have like parliament, democracy. What is your question? Bikini Kill. Did you do a gig with Bikini Kill? Fugazi and Bikini Kill played Freedom Plaza. Well, not Freedom Plaza. It was, um, what was that place called? It was out front of the Supreme Court. It was a, a park about three blocks to the north of the U.S. Capitol, which is the home of the U.S. government, which I guess is not a parliamentary system. Um, so I'm sorry about that. You seem put out by that. But the uh, I was just joking. Yeah. Um, but we just play, yeah. It, thing is, Washington is largely, there's a lot of federal land there. And if you make, ask for a permit, you can use those you can't really have concerts there, but you can have demonstrations. But because our, our concerts tend to be, we have themes about them usually, they're considered demonstrations, so we're able to pull off a lot of that kind of stuff. Conversely, um, there are some places where you can't have demonstrations, you can only have concerts. So this depends on where you go. For instance, the Lafayette Park, which is right in front of the White House, we wanted to have, put a concert on there, and this is 1988 or so, and we just wanted to have like a, celebra- like a May Day celebration kind of concert. They wouldn't let us have one because it was not a demonstration. So then we decided, okay, we'll have a demonstration uh, in, uh, about um, education of birth, of, uh, of teenage birth, uh, pregnancies. People like made a kind of spring. And they said, yeah, no problem. All I had to do is come up with some, something. It's just, it's arcane and it's bureaucratic. And that's the U.S. government. That's all governments, probably. Thank you very much, Ian Mackay. Really appreciate your time. Keep on rocking in the free world and doot-doot-a-loot-doo. Nice to see you again, Nodawar. Please, Ian, doot-doot-a-loot-doo. Take care. That was rhythmic. Oh, we're minor threat, sorry. Oh, it's cold. Good luck to the Boston boys. Thanks for coming down, guys. Seeing red. are you? My name is Henry Rollins. Henry, I think I know you. Oh, I see. You're a character now. No, I'm not a character. Actually, I ran into you in Los Angeles outside of the Guitar Center. I think you were returning a frame. You were in a Carmagia with a beautiful woman, and I saw you going to a frame shop on Sunset. Do you remember that at all? Was that the one where I punched the windshield out? No, you didn't punch the windshield, but you did jam on the dashboard. Yeah. Um, did you remember seeing me, or is that this, does that happen a lot of times? No, that, that was the incident where... Uh, I punched the windshield because this person kept staring at me and I got frustrated and I actually broke that windshield and had to pay for it and 
put drop another one in. That was my friend Peggy. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry if I caused that to happen, but I was just like looking through the corner of the window. Yes, I know. I just was not. I was at Guitar Center, and I did not expect to see. What, what were you getting framed there, Henry? Uh, I forget. It was a picture or something? Yeah. So what are you doing here? Like, I can see in Los Angeles, that's kind of like a freak show to meet you there in Los Angeles. But what are you doing here in Vancouver, in my town, Vancouver, BC, Canada? I, uh, I came here to meet you. So, Henry, you're doing Welcome to Paradox. What is Welcome to Paradox all about? Isn't this show called Betaville? But I think it's called Welcome to Paradox. Okay. Well, they offered me a nice part in this uh, one episode, and I looked at the script and liked it. And they said I could have the part, so I said, okay. This particular episode is titled, All Our Sins Forgotten? Right. And do you realize that Ron Reyes lives in Vancouver? Yes. Or, you know, one of the original Black Flag singers like yourself, and he's a born-again Christian. Well, we all end up something. But I thought that's kind of neat. All Sins Forgotten and Ron Reyes, and you're in Vancouver, B.C. You know, the way you can put it all together like that is just amazing, because I never would have been able to piece it together like that. Well, Henry, also, you were in the movie Johnny Na. Johnny Na. Mon Johnny Mnemonic, written by William Gibson, a Canadian, who lives in Vancouver, B.C., Canada. Right. And in that movie, what did you play? I played a scientist. And what are you playing in this particular production? Scientist. And what have you played also? You've also played cop. It's either a cop or a scientist, isn't it? A scientist or a doctor, a lot, of, a lot of the roles? Cops and scientists and thugs. And in Vancouver, B.C., there is Rollins Trucks. There's Rollins Trucks. Why did you name yourself Rollins? It wasn't for Rollins Trucks at all, was it, Henry? Actually, it was. Rollins Trucks and Security Systems. Because I like mobility and I like security. Why do you think people think that you hate Vancouver or Winnipeg? You know, people think that you hate Vancouver or Winnipeg. Oh, because I used to very much. Because I would come here and you guys would be a shitty, spitting, heroin-shooting, equipment-stealing audience who we weren't allowed to kill. So after I got out of Black Flag and I didn't have to come here anymore, when I became the boss of the, of the system, I stopped coming here so I didn't have to get spat on and have my equipment ripped off by, by idiotic punk rock junkies. So I gave the city about seven years to cool off and came back and found it to be a very wonderful place. So it's no longer Drunkville to you? No. Because some of the media was quite harsh on you. I know it's the Vancouver, like, just, I picked this from a zine from 1985, and it's called the Black Flag Scorecard. And it was like a little scorecard here where it says, like, um, it was like the audience versus Black Flag. Middle fingers for punks. Insults. Objects thrown. Mean faces. General ridicule. Like, they were kind of in, maybe Vancouver, was, is this, did this happen a lot? Like, do fanzines, you know, of the time kind of making fun of Black Flag gigs? Because I thought maybe this is what helped add to your Vancouver hatred. I never read any of the fanzines, really. So you never saw anything? There's no other black flag scorecards about then? Well, I've never even seen that photo. You know why I had my wrist wrapped up like that? No. That's from punching a guy. There's some little quotes you said from the stage. If I got a penny for each time you little boys beat off, I could, you know, I could buy this fucking country. Is that one of your lines, do you think? I don't know. And Henry, uh, Winnipeg, what do you, did you hate Winnipeg as well? Yeah, yeah, because the promoter ripped us off and uh, we actually had to go to his house 
to get his get to get paid, and also some of our equipment got ripped off. And at one point, uh, someone poured a beer into our soundboard, which we really didn't have like a Madonna tape. Like I heard somebody like pit, stole your personal tape deck or pissed on it and had like a Madonna tape. I don't remember any of that. So it was going to the promoter's house and people like trying to destroy the equipment. Have you been to Winnipeg back? Like have they survived the seven-year ban, Henry Rollins? I don't know, Nardwar. I can't remember. I'd have to look. But Edm- I think so. Edmonton was pretty cool, wasn't it? Like, the two 7-Elevens across the street from each other? What can you say about that? Well, I'll go anywhere where the people are cool. But if the crowd's going to be a drag, why should I return? You know, uh, uh, there's... And, and, you know, the Cana- the, those two Canadian cities were just a drag. I mean, the people were idiots. And... Um, we're, you know, you're just lucky no one was hurt worse. I mean, the promoter, uh, McKeegan, he eventually got all four of his front teeth knocked out by another Canadian fellow who came to the aid of a band he was trying to rip off. So you had a, a you know, a, a fellow, uh, forget his name, very good guy, young man who knocked the guy's teeth out. It was cool, though, two 7-Elevens across the street. You wrote about that in Spin. I'll never forget that. Like in Edmonton, wasn't it? Yeah, that's great. How many more questions do you have? Oh, just a few. Uh, Henry, you have a brand new record out here. You have to hurry. You have a brand new record here. Really with, with, you have a really You have a brand new record here called War. You know, you do a version of War. Uh-huh. Now, who else does War? With me on the track? Well, um, DOA also do War, Vancouverites. Mm-hmm. Now, with the, with the song War, Chuck Biscuits, you know, being from Vancouver, there's legends that he played in DOA, Circle Jerks, and Black Flag in one night. Do you ever remember that happening, like playing in all three bands, Chuck doing that? Uh, not to my experience, no. What about Victoria? Do you remember playing Victoria? Sure. What do you remember about Victoria? My friend has a great picture of you playing there, putting your finger to your head. Um, I remember it being really nice. And uh, the best time was when we played with No Means No. And they were really good. And I think we stayed at the bass player's house after the show, and they fed us very nice, very well. And uh, I think that's maybe where I met Ron, was actually... Uh, Ron... Ray's. Ron Ray's. Mm-hmm. And what about the Canadian subhumans? Do you remember them at all? Sure, I used to put them up at my house, my apartment, rather, before I was in Black Flag, when I was living in D.C. I, uh, they were on tour with, a, with DOA. And uh, they all stayed on my floor for a couple of nights. Would you ever consider putting Chicks Dig It Up? You know, they have that song, Henry Rollins, No Fun. More Canadian content here with Henry Rollins. You're speaking to me, Nardward, Human Serviette. Because they have that song, you know, Henry Rollins, No Fun. And they've been known to prank call social distortion using your name. Well, I think Mike Ness would know I'd never... uh call him without a real reason, so um, that doesn't worry me. Well, apparently he's been fooled three times that it's you. Well, you know, maybe Mike will have to straighten me out someday in some parking lot somewhere in America. Have you had problems with that? You know, like people just trying to hassle you? Like, there's a new zeno called Stonegrass, and they talk about this girl from Washington, D.C. that says she had sex with you and that your cock is shaped like a soup can. Like this, or, you know, another rumor, a soup can cock for Henry Rollins. Last girl I fucked in D.C. was this idiotic stripper chick who called herself Aura. But I fucked her really good, so I don't... Well, when you fuck somebody for 45 minutes straight without ejaculation, as he has in some of your books, I've what ne- sort of... I've never been able to do that. 
but I thought it went... 45 minutes? I it went 45 minutes or 35 without ejaculation. Did I write that? Yeah, you did. Can you quote me on that? Um, somewhere in the book and get in the van, they were talking about that. It was when you and Joe Cole were at this girl's house, and Joe Cole, in the morning, the girl left, and she had some sticky stuff in her hair. Oh, yeah, that's, that's when that girl, yeah, she all of a sudden got freaked out on me. It was the funniest thing, like, I, I ran into her again a few years ago, and she hit on me. I'm like, I remember you. No, we're not going there again. Yeah, I came in her hair and then went to the van and slept the rest of the time before we had to leave. What sort of girl are you looking for? Like, you really like Amy Mann, don't you? Amy Mann and Demanda Gallus. Like, when you played Black Flag, played in Vancouver a few years ago, Amy Mann opened... Why, why are you so stuck? How old are you? How old do you want me to be? How old are you? Well, for all intents and purposes, I'm whatever age you want me to be, Henry. But I'm just curious, in 19... Are you, are you able to tell me the truth, or...? I am 30 years old, born July 5th, 1968. So you're, you're 30. So One of the first gigs I remember, not going to, but hearing about, was you guys playing at New York Theater. And that same night, Amy Mann opened up for Rick Springfield. I went and saw the gig. So what sort of woman are you looking for? Is it Amy Mann, Demanda Gallus? Well, what my question to you is, why are you asking me about all this stuff from 13 years ago? Because we're just working up here, because I was wondering... You only have, like, two more questions until we're done, so you got to make it good. So pick the next two questions you're going to do, come up with them. So pick your two best shots, because we're not going to sit here and, and, and jack off all day. Well, I, I was curious about Twink, actually, and the song Do It, because uh -huh. Twink is, lives in Vancouver, the guy, he originally did the song, and I looked at your record. Twink the last time I was here. And I looked at the record, and there was no credit to Twink on the Texas Hotel release, Henry. Well, we uh, gave him their publishing. But I didn't notice it on the actual record. No, I really like the version. I like Twink's version. It says... Pink Fairies. Not on the one, not in the version I saw on the Texas Hotel, like, the, you know, this, well, this, this EP. It doesn't say Rollins. No, it, do, it doesn't say Rollins or it doesn't say Twink. It doesn't say anything, actually. Well, that's probably a typo, but on the real, on the legal documentation, it would say. Did you recently fire your band through email at all, Henry? No. Because I heard that you've hired a new band called Mother Superior. No, I'm doing, you know, remember, you're on your last question. Is that the one you want to ask? Um, no. Well, actually, how about we just run through this one here for a second. The Raw Power Master Tapes. We'll just, you know, see which one. How about we just throw them in. You can put this in my ball cart for a second. How about I put this in yours? I'll put a whole bunch on the table, and you can pick the one you like. It can be like multiple choice, sir, Henry. How about that? Okay. Okay, here's the, here's the remaining question for Henry Rollins. Um, a fan gave you the Master Tapes for Iggy Pop's Raw Power. That, I think, was pretty bizarre. Which Thin Lizzy song do you like better? Running Back or more than, you know, why would you like Running Back more in Southbound? Um, in Punk planet you always talk about um how like you lived in a shed but you know greg Jin says it is the study i was one of curious about that we're curious about your soa demos if there's going to be released i was also curious curious about the best way to bulk up because the salad bars have now been like shut down in a lot of places because of the e coli poisoning and i was also wondering um, if you ever worked out with rocky erickson is all and i'm also wondering what new tattoos you've got henry and i'm also wondering if you get bigger if it's a possibility that you'll be able to get more tattoos actually on your body so those are the questions that are up there against Henry Rollins because you say I only have one question and maybe you can perhaps pick the ones that you enjoy most or I could recite them again to you Henry Rollins here in Vancouver BC Canada well you know I think you got a lot of energy and the fact that you you put all that together I got to respect the effort and I, it's power bar for you too no, no okay, but um, I respect the, that you put in all the time, so I'll try and address some of it. The raw power tapes were stolen, and uh, we recovered them for Iggy in uh, Belgium 
through friends, and we returned the tape to New York and gave it back to Jim. A fan gave you the raw power tapes. That's wild. No, 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 no. They were in a studio, and we heard about it, and we were in Holland at the time, and we, uh, our guitar player uh, contacted a friend in Belgium who knew where the location of the tapes were, and we had someone bring them down, and uh, we blue-labeled them back to America, and we uh, gave them back to Iggy in New York. Because uh, we've, you know, they shouldn't be stolen. They're his, you know. So they're with him. Uh, let's see, SOA demos. <sighs> Nothing would ever happen with that stuff. I don't even know where those. Because they've been are. bootlegged. Some of them are bootleg out there. Sure. Well, let the bootleggers have it. Uh, Rocky Erickson. I couldn't work out with Rocky Erickson. No plans to get any more tattoos. See. The shed with Greg Ginn. Well, because it was in Punk Planet Zine, actually, right here, where you, you can, like, like, oh, sorry for touching you there, but um, right there it goes. Pretty close to the, to the, the goodies there. It was, it was. I'm sorry. You're, you're, you're touching my soup can, buddy. I'm sorry about that, uh, Henry Rollins, but it said, it's, it's constructed like a house. It used to be my father's study, study, Greg Ginn says in his Punk Planet expose. Yeah, it's a, it's a small cubicle square. And it uh, was stacked up with Mr. Ginn's paintings and his manuscripts and uh, lots of books and his paintbrushes. And it had a, a door hinged to one of the walls that would fold down into a table with, that could be pushed back up again. And um, I just called it the shed, you know. But uh, it was just this kind of plaster, stucco, moist space. It's still there. So you, it is kind of study then? Yeah, it's like, you know, I, I just called it the shed. I never called it a tool shed or anything. But it was where Mr. Ginn used to sit and write, I guess, and do his paintings. And when I was working on the Ginn's house, me and Dee Boone were building a house for the Ginn's on Owasso Street. Uh, since I was doing so much construction work, they said, well, just like, you can sleep in there because I have to walk to, the, to the, the site every day and work and then go to band practice. So I started living in that, in that site, uh, in, that, in that shed or study, whatever, uh, in a sleeping bag underneath the desk. And I ended up living in there on and off for a couple of years. And it was, it was, uh, I was the only one in Black Flag who had his own place to live. Everyone else would like sleep in the practice room, so I had it pretty good. What about the monks? Have they been deleted now from your label, Infinite Zero? Because uh, some people at a record store tried to order it. Is, what's going on with the monks? It's a great German beat band, the monks. Americans, you put that on your label, which was one of the coolest things. Um, what happened to the record? Has it been deleted now? What's going on with your record label? Well, it's been deleted because Warner's dropped the label. But we're, you know, putting it, putting it, re-releasing it on another label. Do you think the Monks Silver come out as a movie? Because I heard it was optioned as a movie, and you'd be great in that movie, Henry, don't you think? I think you'd be really good in that movie, Nardwar. Maybe it's Gary Berger doing Monk Stomp or something like that? I, you know, I think you could play any one of those guys. You know, you have a certain charisma, which, that, which is undoubtable, you know, no doubt you have a, a lot of charisma. I like the character that you're playing. I like how you can turn it on and turn it off. It's cute. And uh, your closing question. Closing question. Fear. Were you there that night when they played in Saturday Night Live? Were, were, were you ever approached to do Saturday Night Live? You've been on the Dennis Miller show tons of times. Well, yes, actually. Because, um, like, how did Belushi... I was just curious, because, you know, using your knowledge, how did... You know, using your sit-in-my-face Stevie Nicks knowledge, like, how did, you know, Belushi hook up with fear? What kind of knowledge do I have? 
The Rotters. That was an allusion to the Rotters. You're not being disrespectful to me, are you? No, I was using the Rotters r record. Sit on my face, Stevie Nicks. If Tom Holliston of No Means No actually knows one of the guys, he's a big fan of him. Mm -hmm. Okay. Do I get to answer the question, or do, do you want to just talk? No, go ahead, Henry. You just interview yourself. Um, Bellucci lined up Fear and Black Flag to play on Saturday Night Live. And I was in Los Angeles working on the Damage record when... Uh, my friends from Washington went up there to uh, kind of disrupt the proceedings at SNL. And after Lorne Michaels saw what Fear did, they immediately canceled our slot on Saturday Night Live, so we never got a chance to go. But uh, Bellucci was a fan of ours, and uh, he was a big supporter of both bands, especially Fear, but he liked us too. And he tried to get us on there because he had a lot of pull there, because he, him being who he is. But uh, it was not to be. And finally, Henry Rollins, would you like better? Boys Next Door, the movie by Penelope Ferris, or Boys Next Door, the band, starring Nick Cave? I prefer the band. All right, well, keep on rocking the free world, Henry. Anything else you'd like to add to the people out there at all? It was wonderful talking to you, and the next time we do an interview, I preferred if you flossed and brushed your teeth because your breath is really intense. Actually, I ate at McDonald's this morning. That's perhaps what's doing that. Thank you for thinking of Well, me. you like coffee, don't you? Does, does coffee help you poop at all? Henry, Henry, does coffee help you poop? I have no idea. Okay, and doot doot do loot do Henry, doot doot do loot do
are you? Who am I? Good point. Nah, my name is uh, Paul Gallagher. You are Paul Gallagher? Yeah, I've got two semi-famous brothers. I don't think they've had a hit single yet, but you, you might have heard of them. They've got big eyebrows and stuff. Do you have a mono brow too, Paul? Do I have mono brow? No, my, my eyebrows actually don't meet in the middle. They're actually normal, if you know what I mean. Paul Gallagher, brother of Liam and Noel, do you get any respect? Does anybody give you any... I mean, is it hard to get respect? Do you get any respect, Paul Gallagher? Of course I do. Well, like, are you the Billy Carter of the Gallagher family? No, 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 no. No, and I'm not Chris Jagger either, and I'm not Pete Best or any other people you name to throw at me. But you know, do you get any respect, though? Because is it hard to be the brother of the Gallaghers? Because people seem to always be making fun of you. You know, Paul Gallagher, ha-ha, you know, the fattish older brother of Liam and Noel. What is it like to take that sort of abuse, Paul? I just don't listen to them. But don't they always say it to you? No, nobody says nothing to me personally. People print it in papers because they won't say it to my face because they know they'll be on the floor if I got all of them. Have you punched anybody <laughs> over this? Um, not yet, but you know, there's, there's a few that have become close. Paul Gallagher, why does the first line in your book say, it kind of says, I always wished I was famous. I mean, aren't you setting yourself up right there? Kind of like, yeah, I always wish... Why, why are you setting yourself up for that abuse? Because I get it anyway, so you might as well set yourself up for it. Because on page 76 of Brothers, continuing on here with Paul Gallagher, brother of Liam and Noel, you say, I'll always repay you, Mr. Sifter, by advertising your shop as one of the biggest influences behind the greatest band in the world. You're talking about this guy, Mr. Sifter. Who is Mr. Sifter? Uh, Mr. Sifter, his name is Peter. I can't remember his last name. But yeah, we've always bought records from him. In fact, I bought some. In fact, no, I did actually buy some last week. I was trying to nick them, but he caught me. But no. But why do you say I'll always repay you, Mr. Sifter, by advertising your shop as one of the biggest influences behind the greatest band in the world? Like, do you have to use your brother's fame to pay back this man? What are you? I mean, are you their official spokesman? Can you get a hold of yourself, Paul? Create your own nick. Break through, Paul Gallagher. You're good, too. You don't have to use your brother's fame for this. Who's using what? What, what, what are you on about? You know what I mean? Well, I'm talking about, you're talking about, like, how your brothers bought records at the shop and you're advertising the shop as one of the biggest influences as of... Oh, oh, slow, slow, slow right down. Of Oasis. Right. Create your own... Rewind. Create your own... Re rewind. Paul, right. Paul Gall... No, hold, no, no, no. Hold on. Rewind. Paul, oh, yes. You're what about just saying that only them two have bought records at the shop. You know what I mean? I was there before the pair of them. Now, advertising the facts, yes... Uh, many big, big major companies would like that free advertising, but they don't get it. Not from me. But says you're advertising it. You're advertising well, the well, show. You know what I mean? You're, you're advertising me in fucking Vancouver or wherever you are, or Toronto or <laughs> wherever you are. I don't know where you are. Vancouver, got, British Columbia, Canada, Paul Gallagher. Oh, is that right? Why is Canada, Canada, have you got your big red leaves on your feet? Why is like, it, Do you have any good Canada jokes at all besides that, Paul Gallagher? You know what I mean? I've got plenty of jokes, but I'm not in joking mood. This is meant to be an interview concerning a book. And if you want to rip the piss, then go and rip the piss somewhere I'm else. Not ripping the, I'm not oh, ripping the piss. Oh, you know what I mean? I'm not ripping the piss, Paul yeah, Gallagher. Well, I'm well, gently... You're obviously not intelligent enough to rip the piss. Go on, then. Well, I'm reading from direct quotes here, Paul Gallagher, brother of Liam and Noel. Well, well, that, that direct quote in 76, uh, page 76 that you're so far referring to does not exist. It does, you know I mean? on, on page 76 of your book, it does say, I'll always repay you, Mr. Sifter, by advertising your shop as one of the biggest influences behind the yeah, Grand Spanner. Yeah, yeah, well, if you, go re if you go rewind to the start of the story concerning that, 
I mean, you're, you're, you're taking it from text and making it out as it's something different. Okay, why are there no pictures of you in the book Brothers? Why are there no pictures? Because that's on purpose. But I, want to see what, but I want to see what you look like, though, Paul. Well, you're going to have to wait, aren't you? You know what I mean? Paul, do you ever think about writing other books, like maybe about Davy Jones? Davy Jones of the Monkeys is from Openshaw. Openshaw. Well, Openshaw, yeah. I know where Openshaw is, but, you know, Davey. I don't want to write any books, any more books. I've done one book. I knew I had a book. I've done it. End of story. It's a big, big seller. But do you think, I'll move on to something different. Do you think more books like Davy Jones of the Monkeys is from Openshaw? So what? Davy Jones from Openshaw, why are we? Uh, Mick Hucknell from Simply Red is from Duckingfield, Paul Gallagher. He's from, actually from Denton. Paul Gallagher, Paul Gallagher. Paul Gallagher, Paul Gallagher, hey man. Paul, Paul Gallagher, Paul Gallagher is currently a band manager and A&R consultant. What band? Brubaker. What's the name of the band? Brubaker. Boo Baker? Boo. B? 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 R? R? Yeah. Thank you, Paul Gallagher. Why on page 137 of Brothers, and we're speaking here to Paul Gallagher, brother of Liam and Noel, do you comment, I wished I had a chance to show my talent somewhere? Why do you say that? I wish I had my chance to show my talent somewhere. You're showing it in the book, but why do you say, I wish I had a chance to show? You're setting yourself up for more punishment there, Paul. I feel sorry for you. Yeah, uh, well, I, I, I don't feel sorry for me, you know what I mean? I'm not bothered, bothered, you know, but, uh, 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 not bothered, not bothered, it just doesn't interest me. Paul Gallagher, on page 137 of your book, it says, it's hard, it's hard to imagine your younger brothers becoming the new Keith Richards and Mick Jagger, you say, Paul Gallagher. Your new brothers becoming Keith Richards and Mick Jagger. How can you compare your brothers to Richards and Jagger? I mean, Liam doesn't all write all the songs, does he? He doesn't co-write anything with Noel. No. So why did you use that, Paul Gallagher? Paul Gallagher, because I, I felt like using it, you know what I mean? It's just a term. Now, who's, Liam is only 24. Who says he's never going to write songs? But I'm saying, comparing them to Keith Richards and Jagger, I'm not saying for popularity or anything, but Keith Richards and Jagger's co-wrote songs together. Liam and Noel don't co-write songs together. So how can you compare them to that? <sighs> Big Breeze coming over the phone. Paul Gallagher, are you still there? How are you doing, Paul Gallagher? I'm, I'm fine, and you're ruining up my fucking phone bill, so say what you got to say, or I'm terminating this interview. Thank you, Paul Gallagher. Okay. We really do appreciate your time. Continuing on here, on page 137, you continue on to say, but our Noel was very talented. Our Noel. Why do you say our Noel? What's the expression our. with our Noel? It's kind of sucky, isn't it? Our Noel, our Liam. Why so much our? Our, because it's, it, that's like a Mancunian term. Our kid. Our kid. Uh, obviously, you Canadians. What, what, what would you say if you had a brother? I, hey, Lucan, how are you, man? I'd say uh, Liam. Yeah, but I mean, would you call him your or our or him or but, who? But you just say, you just keep saying, I just keep saying Liam, uh, Liam, Liam. You don't live here, right? You've never probably even been here. you never fucking heard of Manchester. Hey, what's wrong but with me? Everyone uses our. I'm from Vancouver. Our kid, our brother, our fucking team, our this, my cup of tea, I'm in. I'm from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Long John Baldry lives here. Long John Baldry lives here, Paul Gallagher. Uh, well, whatever. Paul Gallagher, a brother of Liam and Noel, quoting from page 151 of Brothers, mm. Oasis's performance was magnificent, eclipsing the much-raved-about Soul Asylum. Mm. What are you referring to right there? 
Go, go back to the guy. I mean, well, I'm not I'm meant to read it out. Of work, but I haven't got a book in front of me, so I, I really don't know what you're on about. You know. Well, I mean? you're saying the performance was magnificent. Are you objective? Are you objective, Paul Gallagher? How can you be objective and call them magnificent when you're, they're your brother? You love them. You love your brothers, don't you, Paul Gallagher? Um. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes. Not all the time. And second, yeah. you're comparing Oasis to Soul Asylum. Soul Asylum is shite. Yeah, they are <laughs> shite. It doesn't take that much to be better than Soul Asylum, does it? You, uh, you probably form a band that would be better than Soul Asylum. So yeah, we yeah. agree on something, Paul Gallagher. We, Soul we, Asylum we, or shite. We agree to disagree, you know. We're connecting here. We're connecting. Now, Paul... Soul of power. What, what do you really think about Oasis? I mean, honestly, Paul Gallagher, are they really something special? Are, aren't, yeah. they just, aren't they nothing? What, I mean, come on. Are Because you, you were a mod, weren't you? Mm. You were a mod. Like, what about Boss this? the mod, always the mod. You were Bod the mod. Yeah. You're Paul Gallagher, brother of Liam and Noel. You were Bod the mod. You're writing this book, Brothers. No, are not like the Secret Affair, the Squire, the Purple Hearts, or the Prisoners. I mean, the Prisoners, aren't they just as good or better than Oasis, Paul Gallagher? No, they're not. Why? The pri- you love those bands, though. Why aren't they as good? The Prisoners. No, no, no. Where, where are they now? You know what I mean? The Oasis is going to be around for a good few years, yeah. But you must admit those bands were good. You were down with them. You did like the, them, Paul Gallagher. The, the influences. Because a lot of people... Influences made into a better equation. But the prisoners probably influenced the Oasis. I mean, the prisoners are better yeah, than Oasis. Fucking TV show, man, you know what I mean? Hello, Paul Gallagher. How are you doing? And we're speaking here to Paul Gallagher, author of the book Brothers. And Paul Gallagher is the brother of Liam and Noel of Oasis. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know if all you people in Canada are like you, man. I don't want to do no more interviews, you know what I mean? Paul Gallagher, how do you remember so much about your youth? You remember, like, every toy, every cereal, all these things. How do you remember all this stuff? Obviously, I'm clever, but there you go, eh? Because, like, Noel liked tents. L- Noel had a favorite toy wigwam. What was that all about? Do you know what a wigwam is? Yes, we know what a wigwam is in Canada, Paul Gallagher. You really have something against Canada, don't you, Paul Gallagher? No, I don't have anything against Canada. Uh, I have something against people who don't ask proper questions, who don't, um, I don't know if you're trying to glorify yourself in this interview by winding me up. We're not going to wind up. We're just going through the actual book. Noel liked tents. He had a favorite toy wigwam. Yeah, what he was... had a wigwam, you know what I mean? And no... It's no big deal. Yeah, right, I mean, that's what I'm trying to elaborate to. I mean, it's no big deal. Kids have toys, you know what I mean? But no, but... I've got, this got is... a memory, and I fucking memorized I know, but, a lot of stuff. But do people... Like, Noel got a dog bite at age six. Brave Noel was the only one manly enough to pull a dart out of your head. There were schoolyard fights with Tony Rafferty and Youngie. Like, what is the significance of all this little information you've put out there? Isn't it kind of blah, as you've said this earlier? Is it what? Why have you given us information, no, no, Paul Gallagher? Why? Because I've written a book. But, know, I know, but why? To, to see, to write a but book, you... you've got to memorize quite a lot of stuff, and you've got to research. Now, I didn't do no research, because the research is in my fucking brain. You know I know, I mean? you're great. You're Paul Gallagher. But Paul Gallagher, just one second. You just said, who cares what the Noel like tense? Then why did you put that in a book? Why did you put it about Noel getting a dog bite? You, Noel pulling... you've, 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 got to, you've got to make the thing interesting. These, these are original things that happen. But you just now, shot you me. May, you may not be able to, to, to relate to them in Canada, but people in Britain can do. Same as I can't relate to a fucking Eskimo in Alaska. You, you just... You know what I mean? Or a sheepdog or whatever. But Paul Gallagher, you just, you just scolded me a second ago for asking you about no liking tents, and yet you put it in the book. I'm allowed to ask that question, aren't I? It was in the book. Whatever. No, Paul, continue I'm getting, on. I'm getting, I'm getting, you know, I'm going to terminate this interview. I don't know who set you up. 
to interview me. I thought I was doing an interview. Paul Gallagher whining up here. Just a few more questions. Just Paul Gallagher, just a few more questions. Please, Paul Gallagher, are you still there? Please, Paul. Paul, are you still there? Paul, get, get on with it. Get on with it. A few Come more on, questions. Okay, recently, it was reported that you were here with Liam. That Liam was you were with Liam when he did coke on November 9th and was caught by the fuzz. Uh, what did you say then? Recently, it was reported in the papers that you were what with Liam that? when he allegedly did coke and was caught by the fuzz. No, no, I wasn't with Liam. Have you seen anyone offer? I was, li- I was with Liam the next day when I called to his house. I wasn't with Liam. I was at a fucking gig somewhere in London. Have you ever seen anyone offer? Oasis Coke, you know, Blow Oasis, get it? Blow Oasis. Have, who hangs around Oasis? Who's offering them Coke and stuff? That's up to you to find out, innit? Continuing on here, winding up with Paul well, well, Gallagher. Why, why don't you go and ask the newspapers, because they usually make up a story like what you're trying to do here. Paul Gallagher bought the mod. Continue on here on page 143 of Brothers. You say, no, 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 no. quote, then one of Leon's mates asked Liz Fair to get her tits out for the lads, which we all find highly amusing. Why did you say that? Isn't that sloth-like, Paul Gallagher? <laughs> get her tits out for the lads. Isn't yeah, that kind of mean? Get, get your tits out for the lads, you know what I mean? That's very sloth-like. Asked, you know what I mean? It happened. You wasn't there. What do you mean you I wasn't just, there? You, you wasn't there. You were just taking excerpts from a book, or my book, and t- t- turn it round as if I'm some sort of fucking arsehole. We're not trying to, we're not At trying the end of the day, you're the arsehole. We're not trying to put anything around here, Paul Gallagher. You're just saying get her tits up for you, the lads. Well, Canada, you fucking better watch out, man. Right. Co- if I come across you... You'll you, be snowboarded, I'm telling you. If, uh, I'm going to be snowboarded. Nardwater Human Serviette, I'm going to be snowboarded. snowboarded. I'm winding snowboarded. up here. Again, winding up here. Winding up here with Paul Gallagher. Why, what, wind, yeah, yeah. I don't, I, don't, I don't know who else you interview, but there's no doubt they want to kill you the same as I do. Paul Gallagher, you know what, I mean? what do your fingernails taste like these days? What, what is what? What do your fingernails taste like these days? My fingernails, at the moment, horse manure. When is the last time Noel or Liam punched you? I know you want to punch me, don't you? You want to whip oh, me with... I'm fucking right, I'll rip your fucking head off, and I will do one of these days, you know what I mean? I know you are. <laughs> Thank you, Paul Gallagher. <laughs> you, you, ain't, you ain't getting away with trying to wind me up on the phone. I don't fucking care where you are. You nobody, nobody screws with Paul Gallagher. Nobody, nobody screws, and not even you fucking Nardwa, whoever you call... I mean, Nardwa, what sort of a fucking nickname is Nardwa? You come out of space. You're teasing me in my little country house I'm here. fucking Joe, my country house, ha ha, some might say I'll cast no shadow across your fucking you will roll with it, you cunt. Paul Gallagher the brother of Liam and Noel please tell me, when is the last time you punched somebody, like you punched, did you punch Liam or Noel when is the last time you punched them? Uh, it's find it hard to punch Liam and Noel, actually 300 miles from me, unless I've got a big fist you know what I mean, like fucking Superman flying through the air. You seem to be very opinionated has anybody ever got mad at you or punched you at all? Punch me? No. Liam or Noel have not punched you, have they got mad at you recently? No. Would they be happy with, with brothers? Would they be happy with the way you're carrying on yourself in this manner right now? Yes. Paul Gallagher, you describe here how you Gallagher's had such a hard upbringing. You know, Noel stole stuff, did drugs, fought bikers. So why did the boys, oh sorry, our Liam and our Noel, walk off stage here in Vancouver when the little penny hit them? Why did they walk off stage? A, a, little, a little penny hit them. A little yeah, penny I've hit them. I've had this before with you Canadians. At the end of the day, they're there to play music. That stage is their stage. Anyone invades it or throws fucking coins, are they meant to walk around for the rest of their life blind? I don't know what it is with you. 
you Canadians and you Americans, when you're at a gig, you fucking throw bottles at people. It isn't work. It isn't acceptable. And if it happens again, they're off. It's as simple as that. And that's what they did. They but went off. the Gallagher family is tough. You're tough, right? You're tough, we're, Paul Gallagher. We're, we're not fucking... We're not even bothered, you know what I mean? But if you're not bothered, then why does a penny make you bothered? Like, you're teaching a, a us... Penny. Ma- All right. Uh, I'll fucking, I'll put you up on the stage, yeah, and I will throw a plastic bottle of water full with force, and I'll throw a coin, I'll throw a stone with a, to the speed of 50 mile an hour, and let's see how you fucking clever you're going to last, you know what I mean? So you want to teach us that? You're straight on your snowboard and off to fucking Vancouver, mate. So, uh, no, so Oasis, when they walk off stage, Paul Gallagher, brother of Liam and Noel, are they teaching us manners? Is that what they're doing? They're teaching us manners? So they came to yeah, Vancouver well, to teach you, us you, manners? You need, you need educating, don't you, really, you know what I mean? If, so they came... If that's the way you behave. So they came to Vancouver to teach us manners then, Paul Gallagher? They came to Vancouver to play music. And then also, well, they didn't play music because they know, walked you know, off. Do, do you know what that is? Music. M-U-S-I-C. Well, they go there to play music. How can when Oasis came... They they're not fucking King Kong in a cage, you know, you know what I mean? But uh, Paul Gallagher, you spokesman, you, you when, Oasis came oh. to, when Oasis came to Vancouver, they held a press conference the first time they came to Vancouver. Well, isn't that kind of being assholes? You know, Why? You know, having a press conference when, like, they were barely selling out a 200-seat venue. It was eventually moved to a larger venue. But, I mean, in America at that time when they first came to warrant a press conference, that's kind of being assholic, isn't it? Is it? I don't know. They're, they're against you. I don't know a lot about Canada and America. And would I want to know? See, this is this is the point. My book has gone to sale on Canada because my publishers want to go and sale on Canada. That doesn't... I mean, I, I will speak to any other person who wants to interview me. You're not some fucking arsehole who's trying to take the piss. So I suggest you go to your country house, you get your fucking blur album out, you go... Paul, I like the prisoners. Paul, are you still there? Paul, Paul. This, this interview is terminated. Oh, Paul, can, we, Paul, can we at least go do do loot do to you? You've, you've had 20 minutes of my fucking but, money. But so Liam is so hot. Anywhere. Liam is so hot. Nad fucking what? Paul, please, please. Paul? 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 Paul Gallagher? Brother of Liam and Noel? Paul? Paul?
Following is a live presentation of CITR News.